accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Continuing our run-through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're up to the episode called Blood Oath. It is the 19th episode of the second season. Came out on March 27th, 1994. Written by Peter Allen Fields, our returning favorite. Directed by Weinrich Colby, who has uh, probably directed some stuff that we enjoyed. And in this episode, three old Klingon warriors reunite on DS9 seeking Curzon Dax, with whom they entered a blood oath one day to exact revenge on an enemy for killing the warrior's firstborn sons, finding Jadzia as a worthy warrior as they felt Curzon to be. She joins the Klingons in completing their vendetta. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You know, I understand how television production works, and I am very happy to see that the showrunners of Deep Space Nine listen to fan criticism, because, you know, if you remember the last episode I was on, I was uh, very disappointed that they didn't have any... We didn't get to see this, the fake sci-fi sports in that episode. And I'm happy to say the showrunners listened to what I had to say and did me one better and gave me a fake sci-fi martial art, which is even better than a fake sci-fi sport. So I'm very <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> You're talking about the uh, the fighting with the batliths or whatever they did in this? Yeah, specifically not the fighting part, but that like weird kata that the, he was doing in the cave there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that looked like... That looked like they didn't have any time to work that one out. That one looked like they did that one on the fly. <laughs> I, I I think that was fitting, though, because he's supposed to be so goddamn old that it's supposed to be terrible, I think. Uh, but it is. Sure. It's it's certainly not. A, it's not fluid, as you'd expect. Um, let's see here. Do we have anything to say? No, I don't think so. So we'll just take a break. Me and Cleo come back. and We're going to break down Blood Oath. Kira. Uh-huh. How many people did you kill? What? While you were in the underground. Too many. Were they all faceless Cardassians? Or did you know who you were killing? Why are we talking about this? If it bothers you, we can stop. Yeah, it bothers me. I'm sorry. All right, Clay, so just to fill in on all the other listeners, maybe people who aren't familiar, you pride yourself on being a uh, a Star Trek uh, sort of like a uh, trivia fanatic, right? That's that's basically your claim to fame. Yes, and so we we don't have to waste a lot of time um, asking you the question about whether or not you recognize the Klingons who are in this episode, right? We can just skip. Uh, I recognize two of them. I don't. I didn't recognize the third one, but I do know two of them. Did you Did you actually uh, recognize two of them, or sort of know? Do you know the gimmick of this episode? I don't. Okay, so is there, is, can I take a stab at it? Sure. Were they all did they all play the Three Musketeers at some point? Because <laughs> that's what this episode felt like—a Three Musketeers movie, which was fun. The um the the gimmick of this episode is that Kor, Koloth, and Kang are all Klingons who appeared in TOS. Uh, oh, no kidding. Kor, oh, I didn't so know that. so Kor is from season one, the Errand of Mercy. Koloth is from Trouble with Tribbles. And Kang is from season three's Day of the Dove. So are they all played by the same people? They are. They're, so they're the oh, same actors cool. who all came back. And that's that's kind of the wink and sort of cool thing about this episode as a Star Trek fan. You 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 probably obviously didn't recognize it, but um, I guess a, a lot of my enjoyment of the episode comes from that. So you you uh, you might see that there's a little bit of like a inside baseball aspect to this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I I 
did recognize two of them, but not for that reason. Uh, one of them is, it took me a while to place it, but is once I, because I recognized his, the actor's name, but I couldn't remember from where, and then all of a sudden it clicked. Uh, the guy who plays Kang did the voice of Mr. Freeze on Batman the Animated Series. Oh, really? <laughs> and the guy who played uh, Core did the voice of Apocalypse on the X-Men cartoon. Oh. So they, they got some good voice actors in this one. And I didn't realize that they were, they had uh, the history with Star Trek, but that's pretty fun. But I, the, uh, I think the biggest detriment to this episode, unfortunately, is Dax, because everybody in this episode acts circles around her, unfortunately. Yeah, yes. I'll add, before we get into it, I'll add one more. Um, you know the albino's little assistant guy who's in one scene? Um, yes. He's, he's sort of working at it. That is the guy who voice acts Cobra Commander. Or, Co- Commander Cobra Commander no on, shit. A, on G.I. Joe, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's fun. So there's a lot of uh, animated voice acting going on in this episode. That's cool. I, I don't think I've ever seen him in something, like, as a person. So, and I guess I still haven't because he was wearing a... Yeah, he's wearing like, a big mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's... I think his name is Christopher Collins or something. Um, so yeah, we'll get into this actual episode. So you think Dax is the weak point. I did a solo episode, um, previous to this one called playing God, which was also a Dax centric episode. And, um, I was alone on that one. So I could really just sort of go off on my own rants about it. But I think that the weakness of Dax continues into this episode. So Mm -hmm. why don't, why don't you, um, why don't you give your opinion of what went wrong besides the fact that it's just bad acting, unless that's the entire thing. Um, that's cut well. <clears throat> the episode overall, I actually, I actually liked. I thought it was really fun. I liked the Klingons. I, I actually liked the idea quite a bit. Um, the, the idea of passing on this, this prior commitment, uh, to a new, once you, you know, transmute bodies or whatever the trills do. Yeah. When, when they rejoin, <laughs> I think is their terminology. Yeah. When they find a new symbi- symbiote. Yeah, is that, um, is that is that a dig at uh, the pronunciation in the new Venom trailer? I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think they had enough. Like that that was a good idea, but it seemed to be their only idea because the entire episode is basically them arguing over whether or not Dax should go. Uh, and I don't know. I after like the third scene where they were discussing it, it kind of it was kind of losing me a bit. Um, I like the stuff with Dax and um, Kira. I like the stuff with Dax and Cisco. That's my favorite scene. Yeah, it was good. Because, um, you know, it, I mean, it, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. You know, is this this person, uh, was Curzon Dax? He wasn't a, a fighter, right? No, he's a diplomat, apparently. Well, you know, it, w- it would be kind of interesting if he had been a fighter. Because it would be, it would be, well, no. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I was thinking, like, it would be interesting... From a standpoint of you're a different person now, so how have you have your tastes for violence changed? Yeah. Uh, can you do you think you can do the things you used to that kind of thing? Um, what well, one thing that we're finding about Curzon, which is kind of a problem with this character, where the Dax symbiont lives and it, it goes to a new person, and you're supposed to be a new character, is that when they talk about Curzon. You end up going. Why couldn't Curzon be the Dax that we're living with in this TV series? You know, he he like he does all the interesting <laughs> things, and Jedzia yeah. Dax doesn't really do anything like that. So, one do of the we other- ever get to see Curzon? 
not outside of flashbacks. We saw him in the pilot that briefly when they uh, they do the surgery to move the trill symbiote between them. But that's about it. I think you only oh. see him in flashback. I don't remember that at all. Okay, you made fun of that scene when we talked about it on the pilot. It sounds like it sounds like something that they executed very well. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that the um the you know the, the problem is that Curzon seems more interesting than Jedzia Dax does. So we're stuck with that kind of a thing, and also. Dex, it, it, the purpose of the symbiote basically seems to be like you can bring up sort of ir- irrelevant memories. Someone else had mentioned that, and that seems to be true. Like, it's just an example to bring up these sort of fleeting memories that the Dex creature has that passes on. And it doesn't really seem to be helpful. And I, I think that we can just discuss this because I didn't have anyone to bounce my ideas off of. the. It's like It's like selective Jason Bourne. Yeah. Basically, and th- like the the main problem with this character is that it's extremely unclear to me what the ratio of personalities is in the end result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so originally, I think what they had planned to do was that the symbiont was supposed to be the primary personality that's driving everything, and the host is more of a sort of vessel for that thing. They've moved it now to where it's more Jadzia seems to be in control, and the Dax symbiont. Uh, one of the listeners had said it's basically like a hard drive in you that you can pull up random memories from. Mm. And that's a less interesting take for me because yeah. the problem with the Klingon storyline here is that you don't get a sense that it's actually Curzon or or Dax rather carrying through the what it wants to do because Jedzia's personality is primary in it. So it, it, it just leaves me feeling really unsatisfied whenever they try to do these trill problems because... I never know whether this is Dax talking or whether this is Jedzia talking. Yeah, and it, it kind of presents, especially with this episode, it presents a bit of an issue because if it's just a hard drive thing, then she doesn't really have any reason to, to go on this trip. And uh, that, that would make sense you know? for the... Well, it, that also makes... It also makes sense for the Trill to have this rule where they abandon old deaths because they consider themselves to be a new person so if the symbiote right. is in control that doesn't make a lot of sense because the symbiote should be willing to pay its debts basically yeah but also at the same time i can understand you know there's a certain point where you just got to be like Ugh, okay let's maybe can't maybe, maybe that make a card. rule here yeah yeah <laughs> um you know what's the point of faking your death if you still have to pay your student loans you know? yep yep and uh do not remember that if i happen to wind up dead anytime soon or presumed dead <laughs> <laughs> until, the, um, until the credit card companies back off. Yeah, exactly. And then I will come back as uh, Jetzia Clay. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting because it, I do think it's more interesting if 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 Dax is the is the primary um, personality. But now, now, forgive me. I, I apologize to to people who would be yelling at me for asking this question this far into the show but uh does the does the dax does the trill um benefit at all like or i should say does the host body benefit from the the, the symbiote at all it's unclear like, what's the, okay they they seem to just think that it's a trill culture basically at this point seems to think that it's an honor to do <laughs> Sorry, it that sounds that sounds like like something that came out of like the club scene or something <laughs> You know, the new trend in trill culture. <laughs> the young kids with their trill culture. Yeah. Uh, playing God basically just touched on the fact that the, the humanoid trill, think of it as an honor to be joined, but there's no 
there's no real good reason to do it. One I talked about it previously, but I'll just repeat it here. One of the listeners had said it would have been better if um, the trill humanoids were sort of like cavemen types mm. and the symbionts oh, yeah. the symbionts were super intelligent so that when you joined each of them got a benefit where the symbiote can move around and be protected and the humanoids become intelligent and are able to like excel at things that'd be fun yeah and that would be that would give you a reason as to why the trill would try to steal symbionts from each other which we've seen in previous episodes and Ooh, what wait the is point there of- like a is there like a Highlander culture among the among the trill? There is, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, not, not really. I want to see really, that show. Not really killing. It's more just like they want to line up to be next in line for the symbionts, oh, basically. Never mind. <laughs> you don't get. You can't just. You can't have like a bunch of them at the same time. No, I don't think. I don't think so. That's a good question, though. Then. Ooh, uh, I just. I just found my new fan fiction story. I'm gonna se- write season eight of DS9. Yeah. Well, I mean. And how does Tasha Yar deal with this? <laughs> so. That's basically the problem with Dax. And I, I don't know if that fed yeah. into your uh, perception of this episode. To me, it's it's all the problem of uh, Terry Farrell cannot pull off what the characterization of this person is supposed to be. She doesn't mm-hmm. she doesn't play this role properly or well enough. And just not knowing what the trill are really puts a damper on whether or not I can enjoy the story as some sort of retribution or it just feels like randomly Jedzia Dax is involved in this plot for some reason. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't want to be mean to her because uh, she's fine. You know, she's not offensively a bad actress or anything. But, like, I feel like her character comes off to me a lot like a uh, Galaxy Quest parody sometimes mm-hmm. where it's like, She's she's just the actress. She's just the actress talking about this character she plays, who's this ca- character named Dax, who's a, an a, a trill alien symbiote, and like has no con- no understanding of what that means. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. as far as the character goes, it's just like what it says on the sheet, and so she just plays things the way she would play anything, except that she happens to be wearing this weird sci-fi makeup. And again, I don't I don't mean that to be mean. Um, she's not supported just, by writing on any level. Yeah, either. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not just her. It's it's the writing too. Um, and I think she's I think she's okay in this. I think she's not bad, but I I, I don't think she uh, for something with the gravitas that this episode has, as far as the way everybody else is handling it, she's she's underserved, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I was um, she's really betrayed in the scene with Kira who's picked up nicely. The uh, not visitor has started playing Kira really strongly. And the, the three returning Klingons are all pretty good, I think, at what they do here. Except, so, big, big bummer for me in this episode is uh, you've got every episode, every scene with these Klingons, every line that they say sounds amazing because they all have great voices. They're all really good actors. And then when they bust into the albino's place, uh, <laughs> Mr. Freeze says look upon your executioners killer look looks up, look upon your executioners killer of children yep. which is a great fucking line <laughs> but his delivery is terrible <laughs> it's like he's got this such a deep menacing voice and yep. then he's like look upon your executioners killer of children <laughs> and it just it's just it's unfortunately doesn't it doesn't land the way it probably should i i i i i sort of remember that line of um he doesn't hit the comma correctly either so it sounds like he's sort of one lining the entire look upon your execution of the like it, it, he doesn't it, it doesn't separate the killer of ch- children away from the other line and i don't think enough it's like that um a famous clip of the guy the newscaster says that like 
Tom will be back tomorrow. He was set on fire and killed or something because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't allow a space in between his uh, sentences. Yeah, I I'm thought that Ron the Burgundy. I thought that the you know the, the Star Trek fans get a little bit of a kick out of the fact that it's the returning characters with the same actors who come back. Uh, they don't explain why they look differently, which is interesting. Um, and there's both pluses and cons to them doing this i think and we'll we'll get more into that when the patrons come around but or pros and minuses yes on the um <laughs> on, on the on the on the plot level of the episode i think it's f- fine um i like the sort of actiony adventure that they've got going on here the the albino is fine as for what he serves his purpose um the idea of an oath going back for previous trill hosts is a good idea and everything like that uh they spend there might be a little bit of a pacing issue they do spend a lot of time early on on deep space nine which i think is kind of a misfire and i felt things should have been gotten, yeah. getting going more because i really enjoyed it more once it picked up when they were on the ship and going to the place well i i actually for a while thought that <clears throat> it was going to end with dax not going because they they spent so much time on deep space nine that i thought oh is this just going to be like a discussion about the ethics going on here and like the concept, which I am, which I would have been fine with. Cause like I said, I, th- I found the concept interesting. Um, but yeah, by the time they finally do get going, it's pretty late in the ep- episode. But I also think, I, I don't know if, if this show can really handle what they were trying to do here as far as like uh production value goes. Yeah. Um, because I I enjoyed it, you know I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of revenge stories and and you know teams and people teaming up and old guys coming back to settle debts and stuff. Uh, remember that for anybody who wrongs me now, you'll see me in about thirty years, and it will be bad for you. Um, but uh, and I'll have a team of other old men with me. Um, but when they finally start to execute their plan. It happens very quick, and it's kind of silly. Sure. Um, also, I have to point out, is there a more useless piece of equipment in sci-fi movies or sci-fi uh, movies or television than the helmet? Yep. Because it seems like in sci- in most action-adventure and sci-fi stories, helmets, when you get hit in the helmet, it's actually worse than if you got hit in the face. <laughs> it's basically like there's no padding on the insides. You're just sort of rattling around in an iron kettle yeah, it's or like something. like the helmets all have like little spikes that are yep. holding the helmet on, and when you hit them, it just kills you. These guys also um, had uh, cloudy visors, which makes things yeah, difficult. Yeah, those to- are a bad costume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... And this is the... It's also the first time I... I never really realized. I always sort of thought of the um, albino as being Klingon, and I don't think he is actually. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't make it out. Uh, I wasn't sure. He kind of looks Klingon-y, yeah. but he doesn't look to, like he's his. Uh, the topography of his face doesn't line up. Let's put it that way. And he wears different clothes. He doesn't wear Klingon clothes, and he constantly says Klingon filth to the other people. So I, I don't think he's a Klingon, but it's hard to hard to say. Uh, is I don't know. he the third? Winter brother. Well, it's actually a discovery tie-in, right? Because Vok was an albino Klingon. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if are he they, is, the, are they the Edgar and Johnny Winter of the Star Trek universe? But yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You thought you thought that I, I agreed that the siege at the end is sort of silly. Um, 
you know, doesn't yeah. doesn't look great. It's a lot of shots of the soldiers continually trying to reload their guns, which have been dampened by Dax somehow, yeah. which um, I actually thought was a good touch of the episode is that Jedzia Dax's new skills actually help them in the long run, uh, you know, because she's so science uh, based that she's able to do this in a way that Curzon wouldn't have been, which is a, a nice touch. Yeah, no, I thought that was great. Um, I thought, um, <clears throat> I think the way I would have liked to have seen this go is maybe be a little bit longer and have more of that because you've got these three guys who are all old men who you've established as being not at top, not not at their peak anymore, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to do something that is very much a young man's pursuit. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're Charles Bronson. Right. Um, and uh, so having, having da- and they're, you know, they're constantly complaining that Dax is not a warrior and all this kind of stuff. So having her there to help them think outside the box i think could have been it could have been i mean it is fun i think it, they could have done more with it yeah um especially when it comes to it's like they do that stuff on the ship but then they get to the planet and it's just like all right we're just gonna do this shit i mean she does she she is the uh, the faster one so she does that but like as far as executing the actual attack it is pretty straightforward there's not a lot of ingenuity there no, they um, they talk more about it than it actually ends up mattering. You know, they're sort of like casing the joint, going like, "Oh, we can't go in through there because the mines are there, and we'll get we'll get ambushed." But then they just kind of charge in anyway, and so, yeah, and hand to hand everybody. So it, it's. If, I was just gonna say the one thing I would have done differently is that when that when the one guy, uh, Koloth, maybe Col- I can't Koloth, remember. Yeah, Koloth is the guy uh, who gets knocked down first. He's like the uh, yeah Koloth. When Koloth is like, "I'll go find someone and ask them," I was hoping he was gonna leave. And they weren't going to cut away, and he was going to come back like covered in blood, and be like, "He's he's here." <laughs> yeah. I got some good intel. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that the, I actually thought that the the final battle scene was pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, that was so, that was solid. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's just the getting into the joint is not particularly great, and I, I think that the uh, the albino is a good villain for them for the purpose that he serves, which is to be a very simple sort of mustache twirling villain. I think he does that job pretty well. Yeah, and, I I. It's a, another one where I, I wonder if maybe they could have taken a second swing at the name. Um, Instead of Albino, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just feels, it's one of those things where you've got these guys with who have such amazing uh, delivery saying something that kind of sounds silly. Yeah, yeah. You know, where, I don't know, if, if they had come up with a, a different name or something a little bit more menacing sounding or something, but you've got these guys who'd be like, we have to find the albino it's just, <laughs> i don't know something weird about it where it's like it's, it feels like they were that was a placeholder but they just never changed it yeah that happened that happens quite a bit on this on these uh series and things like that but um let me see here is there anything really else that i wanted to touch on i mean i we haven't actually seen much klingon stuff in ds9 right like you, yeah you, i you actually don't... um uh, for a second i didn't you know i didn't know anything about uh about this episode so for a second at the beginning i thought the person in the hollow suite was going to be wharf oh but, sure because because yep. he's the only klingon i know so. yeah <laughs> and i don't know if you caught it when he when he pushes the door open at the very start uh the hollow suite door it makes the original series door opening sound which is kind of oh nice no touch. i didn't i didn't catch that that's fun though um but yeah i think that it's a it's fun. it's funny to see the klingons in this because it's kind of they're at a point now where the episode brings it into focus too. Or I think Kang talks about it. How he has that great line about like uh, the Klingons now serve like food to the 
children of the enemies that he'd slain previously. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about how Klingon culture is sort of falling apart and doesn't have the warrior ethic that it used to have. There's even yeah, a, I like um, that. I like that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good way for the Klingons to go, and it's a good. It's an extension of what TNG talked about with them on some level and just sort of fleshing them out. And it's at an, an empire at a crossroads in a lot of ways. And it'll be important going forward that that's the way that the Klingon empire is at this point. And it's just, it's nice to bring, uh, it's nice to bring sort of familiar faces to DS9. I know they were trying to avoid it for the long time by bringing in some of the worst alien races we'd ever seen in the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> um, but it's good to bring it back to it's nice for the series to be able to flesh out characters that we kind of already know, you know what I mean? Instead of having to introduce a new species to us and have us care about it, it makes more sense yeah. on this level. Yeah, and you know, Star Trek is um, not in the same way that Star Wars is, but Star Trek has always been about legacy to a certain extent, uh, at least since the 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 next generation, where it's like there are, there's there's always reference to the past stuff and the past uh, people and, and familiar races and stuff. And it's there are times you can do it where it's really satisfying, like this episode, and there's times you can do it when it's not satisfying, like, I don't know, uh, let's say most of season two of Star Trek Discovery, I assume. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think this is, a, this is a good way where you can tap into that stuff and have it serve a story in a way that makes sense and is satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I always enjoy. I, I I like that stuff. When you can pull that stuff off and 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 do it and have it make uh, story and thematic sense and be worth doing, I think that stuff is is really. Yeah, this is kind of a. Um, I'm. I guess before we'll just go to final thoughts. I I think that this is a good episode. I I wouldn't really say it's one of my favorites or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like the idea more than the execution of it. Like I like the fact that all the actors come back and play those roles. Um. I think that the, I think it kind of hits a, there's a few weak points to it for me. So like DS9, as we're moving into the second season, excels more when they have station focused stories that aren't particularly sci-fi stuff. So this fits nicely into that. This is sci-fi, but it's not like the sort of sci-fi B plot that's driving everything and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like the fact that they do a character work here. People compare the end to uh, Necessary Evil sometimes, and I don't think it's anywhere in the same ballpark as Necessary Evil, where I thought that that felt really earned and it meant something, that the Odo and Kira character at the end of that are like having to confront the fact that they've been lying to each other. This one feels very forgettable, and I don't know if that's because of the weakness of the story overall, because I I, I feel like the what Dax does here makes sense but i don't like the reaction of cisco and kira to her and i know it's not going to amount to anything so i find it a little bit unsatisfying on some level it feels it feels forced like the ending doesn't feel earned by what went on even though it totally should be earned at that point so i I don't know what the problem is yeah no i i I, uh i kind of wish i don't know i was on the fence about whether or not i wish that she had actually killed somebody like because i mean you know she was there and she helped but you know that's different than actually killing yeah, I mean, are you? What's funny in season two so far is that uh, we've had a couple episodes of Cisco not really being the authoritarian in charge in a lot of ways. Like he mm-hmm. he he's willing to get out of the way to allow someone to do something against his orders if he thinks that it's suitable for that person to do. Like I, 
I don't, I feel there should have been more repercussions to this or like it, I I maybe the episode shouldn't have ended with just blank stares but with Cisco reprimanding Dax or something like I needed a little bit of something to go on there as opposed to just looking at each other and sort of mildly shaking their heads at each other. Yeah, I would agree. I think it is a, because they were so vocal about it before she left. I you know, I don't know. I mean I could see it going either way. Again, I think it's it might be a matter of uh, of unfortunately of, of um, acting quality on her part because I mean yeah. you can probably sell a lot for, of that situation with with uh, you know just the just the way you're looking at each other. But I don't know. Yep. I, I like what what would you what would you have them say if they were going to say anything? It would have been a reprimand scene from Cisco or a. You know, actually, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'll let, or, or like a coldness interaction with Kira, where because Kira and Dax are usually pretty chummy like that, like they open it by sort of hanging out with each other and Dax brings up how many people have you killed, uh, question to her. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it was a very official cold interaction between those two, like handing off a report or something, and you, can, you get a sense that something has changed fundamentally, the, the looks itself, I think, is just not enough information to go off of as to their level of disappointment, I suppose. Yeah. I think what would have been actually kind of nice is if Dax had a scene where she kind of talked about her feelings about the subject, you know, like a, not, not like something overly, you know, sappy or anything, but just like you could have that scene with her and Cisco where she's filing a report and she makes some statement about, these concepts that she's been dealing with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's been inspired by the, um, the venom trailer came out, but I, I kind of wish the symbiote had a more venom symbiote relationship. The trill symbiote was more like that. Like it was a, an interact, the two characters existed in the same body. So it's like two minds sort of talking to each other and they can have an internal monologue about what's going on because that would be more, I feel that would push the episode because it's hard to have the conversations between Dax and the other characters because hello, hello, he's still there. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> so it's it's hard to have the conversation between Dax and the other characters because it feels like it's the conflict feels like it's just kind of made up wholesale, and they're having a stereotypical reaction to it. Where if if the Trill symbiote was able to talk to Jadzia about it, it would be a little bit more of an interesting conversation. Yeah, or I guess, you know, I don't know, maybe they've covered this, but uh, <clears throat> an episode I haven't seen, but yeah, I don't know, I guess, I, I guess I, I'm thinking, like, having her even address what it's like having to deal with, with the Dax personality yeah. would be, you know, and, and her, her point of view on having not having experienced these things, but having this drive to do it. And then yeah. having done it, not knowing exactly how she feels about it. You know? Yeah, that, that's, that's true. They have not, they absolutely have not touched on that. And, uh, it's, it's too bad, but I think that's, that's part and parcel. It'd just be a way to deepen the sort of Jedzia experience because a lot of it, like a lot of her previous episodes, she's, she's more involved in this episode than she has been in her previous episodes, but it's still, it's not, it's like a passive activity in things. She's not mm. really having to sort out or suss out her feelings to a huge extent. She does it here, but I never, I never feel like there's any doubt or any serious consideration as to 
why she shouldn't do this on some level. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a different, maybe it's a different episode we're getting into talking about it, but uh, um, it would be interesting if she was conflicted about it because she's a hundred percent like that's that's what makes it um, it, it makes it feel like the Dax personality is just driving the ship. Uh, and I honestly don't think I even realized that it was not just Dax driving the ship, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, until we started talking about it because they never talk about they, her name is Dax. It's not Jedzia. Yeah. Um, and she only talks about stuff in reference to what Dax, the memories of the yeah, Dax, the memories Dax yeah. has. So, I mean, it would be kind of interesting if maybe, you know, she had these conflicting sides where it's like, I understand what. I've what Dax has signed up to do, but the Jedzia part of me is that's not how I am. So having to reconcile that stuff might have been interesting, but I don't know. Maybe that's a different episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I I'll be interested to see what people say about this because I feel I might actually be wrong in my interpretation of Dax, but I feel that the the show doesn't define her well enough for me to know that I'm wrong about my interpretation mm-hmm. of her, and I feel like that's kind of the problem with it. Um, I need. I just need a little bit more skeleton explanation of what this what this character is about and how they see the world and what personality is in charge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they don't get into that, that's a shame because I mean they, that, they don't. The, yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> no, that, so, this that's that's a lot of really interesting stuff there. I mean, honestly, if I if I was in a, the writers writers room on a Star Trek show, specifically one that's on now, maybe. Yep. Uh, that's something that I would bring up. It's like, hey, we never really, these guys are pretty cool. We never did anything with these guys. Let's. You, you watched the uh, deleted scene from season one, right? You saw, you saw that the other day. The, <sighs> the yo talks to the section 31. The guy brings up section 31. Yes. He is disguised as a trill in that episode. He takes off oh, his trill right. spots. Yeah. 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 Which um, is the worst disguise ever because it's like Clark Kent's glasses he takes off spots yeah. and he's like i am not actually that guy i'm some <laughs> other guy so what the hell are you talking about chris i didn't know that was you <laughs> um but no of- i mean like that that's a really cool character idea to mess with especially on a show like discovery i mean you know a uh, more modern take would do a lot of justice to that i think you know what yeah, i mean like you've like you've basically got well i guess you, you kind of you kind of do have a trill on the ship, I guess, if you if you count Ash Tyler, because yeah. that's essentially yeah. the, that's essentially what they've turned him into. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they'll get into that stuff, and maybe that'll be interesting to watch. Who knows? But <laughs> as far as a as far as a, a pre existing character like uh, exploring the trill symbiote thing, I think would be would be pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. We'll call it uh, there for a day. That's Blood Oath. Uh, we'll play an audio clip. We'll come back. We'll read some patron thoughts, and then we'll call it a day. No vengeance today, Kang. And who are you, girl? You knew me as Curzon Dax. The Trill, of course. Well, you're far too young and lovely to sport such a deadly weapon. All right, then. Use it, if that's what you came to do. Kill me in cold blood. Run me through the belly and cut out my heart. Isn't that what your blood oath promised? Or have you lost your appetite, my dear? 
All right, so as always, if you guys support the show on Patreon.com, you can leave comments about upcoming episodes and the posts on Patreon, and uh, we'll read them on the show, which we'll do right now. We only had a couple for Blood Oath, uh, starting off with Nick Sergi. Blood Oath is a rollicking good time. Reminds me of sitting at the role-playing table. It has an adventure shown from the beginning when they all gather to see where they're going if they were worthy to go, to the actual adventure, to the great if short denouement. I think TS9 uh, has with this and subsequent episodes really given us a good look into what the older Klingons are like and their role in society, and it feels right. They're either Klingon masters or they're lowly servants. Um, he says that Clock Delca Bract or whatever, that, the Klingon pronunciation, that battle is the Briar Patch from Insurrection, which apparently is true. I don't understand why they made that connection, Clay, but they did at some point. Cool. Um, or yeah. should I say Trill? The episode is well-paced, and the albino is pretty cool. Also, Christopher Cullen's uh, Starscream and Cobra Commander voice actor shows up, and I how could I not watch and enjoy that show? Uh, Stephen Cobb says, Blood Oath. Fun to see the old TOS actors back. That said, I'm going to have to call it. Terry Farrell is a crappy actor in DS9 at this point in the series. This episode contains empirical evidence. The scene between Dax and Kira where she gives the background about Curzon and the Blood Oath and the Albino was well written. Nana, visit, uh, Nana Visitor delivers her portion of the scene well, throwing the shit job Terry does with the script into sharp relief. Terry gives I, a re- I was ahead. just going to say, I do have to say I was getting, it's not quite this bad, but I was getting some flashbacks to uh, any scene between Katie Holmes and Christian Bale in Batman Begins. Sure, yeah. Where it's like Christian Bale is an Oscar caliber actor who's, Elevating the material of a Batman movie quite a bit. And Katie Holmes is... Katie Holmes. Less than. (laughs) Terry gives a reading of it reminiscent of a high school drama performance uh, by a girl who thinks she has the personality but doesn't really and is only being praised because the rest of the class is tired of looking at awkward theater folk who actually participate. Uh, I thought I I was mean. (laughs) (laughs) The opaque opaque visors are a poor choice for combat attire when facing a trio of geriatric Klingons. It's true. We're we're getting... it's tough though because she's clearly the weakest character in the show at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's it just kind of sticks out. Um, I'm a, a little surprised that she doesn't get yard personally. Okay, yeah, early, uh, yeah, yeah. Just because I don't know. It seems like she's just kind of there. Like she, everybody else, even if they even even like Bashir. Bashir doesn't really do much, but Bashir actually has like a presence and like. Uh, I could you can define what Bashir is about. Yeah, at, you know, yeah, you could you could you could come up with a storyline to sort of just on the spot. We could come up with a Bashir storyline that would kind of make sense. Dax, any storyline you give her would be like, yeah, I guess so. Maybe, you know. Uh, Steven says, uh, Wes, you can skip this section if you want, if it's straight too far. I'll just sort of summarize. He writes about the um, he had a, had a little bit of an issue with how the characters of the Klingons have been interpreted from their original appearance. Just saying that. Uh, Koloth, what is it? Koloth was the Klingon Kirk squared off when in trouble with Tribbles. He was a lot of fun in that episode and kind of humorous, but in this episode, he's a dick. Kang was a hard ass in Day of the Dove, and he's kind of a hard ass here, which makes sense. And then Kor was very arrogant in Errand of Mercy, uh, but he's uh, fairly humorless and defi- uh, elitist in TOS. But in DS9, he's all inclusive and easy going. I, I had to think about this. Um, well, Stephen wraps it up by saying, nitpicking aside, freaking awesome tie-in with the original series and the only three Klingons of note from TOS. I I think that the only bad performance here is, not performance, but the bad characterization is Kor, who is the first Klingon that you run into because he is very different from what he was originally. The other two are sort of milder, relaxed interpretations or sort of like a an evolution of what they were in TOS. 
Core, I think the reason that they changed Core and they had to change Core is because you can't have two of the Kang characters because all the Klingons were kind of similar to each other in TOS. So they had to make him different so that the two characters on this DS9 show didn't just blend into each other and be the exact same character. And, you know, I don't know. I think... A hundred years have passed, too. Yeah, you can change. I mean, there's a lot of people who were uh, hippies in the 60s who are now Trump supporters, so who knows? (laughs) That that would be my argument. It doesn't bother me, really. Maybe if you're super into TOS, it might be a little bit of a thing, but I, I think it's fairly justifiable the way that they wrote them. Zam Nuclear Wessel writes, Blood Oath, a little silly and off-brand, but I love it. I love how the albino seems to know he's up against action heroes and that seemingly minor problems must be coming for him. Uh, when he turns on the radio and hears Michael and Sarah say, Murderer of children, your retribution is at hand, you can see the albino knows the jig is probably up. See, that line is better than what he actually says. Yeah. <laughs> Chad Wiley writes, Blood Oath, I feel like this is the episode where Dex finally starts to grow on me. Maybe it's just because they finally have an episode focused on her that doesn't spend her uh, doesn't have her spending the episode unconscious, incapacitated, or otherwise off screen. Kyle Barrett writes, Blood Oath is probably my favorite episode of the show so far. Something interesting is finally done with Dax, and it's no surprise that Peter Allen Fields is the one that manages it. I love seeing her debate if she is still locked into Curzon's Blood Oath and whether she should kill, culminating in that great necessary evil style final scene. I like Kang and Kor a lot, and it's clear that the actors have studied TNG era Klingons and have altered their performances accordingly, but I'm a little disappointed with Koloth. The actor didn't seem to have changed his performance since COS, and the character comes across as a bit too human. Interesting. A lot of a lot of differences of opinion. I liked the Klingon, uh, all the Klingon performances. I thought they were all pretty good. I, you know, I this. I, I mean, we could save this. Well, I may as well just get into it now. I was going to say we could save it for the rating, but I this could have been my favorite episode. Like it, it was yeah. not there. It wasn't there. There was some stuff that, you know, I think I think it was on its way. But like, if this had been pushed a little bit farther, this might have been my favorite episode so far because it's you know it's just got a lot of stuff that i that i found interesting and it is fun and i like the the klingons are great it, it has a really good vibe about it but it just yeah. doesn't totally stick it you know yeah yeah i think i think that's probably it so we'll go to ratings right now but thank you patrons for leaving your thoughts much appreciated uh, a little bit of a variety of opinions on this episode which is interesting um i will ra- i'll go first Clay. i'm just i'm gonna give it a strong three i think um I don't know. I don't know if that feels low to you, but I, I enjoy this one. I just don't. It's like you're saying it just it feels like it's missing a few things that really could have elevated it. Like maybe the emotional resonance because they're really dealing with something pretty sad that the yeah. Klingons have all gone through. And the, the Klingon death scenes, I feel like, should carry a little bit more. I feel like they just don't focus on that stuff enough at the end. And that should have been more. They should have done that right from like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes earlier that all that stuff should have been happening. Um, and that would have made it a little bit more of a, a an episode that lands well because it is very Peter Allen Fieldsy in that he made sort of great character emotional decisions. But for some reason, it just misses the mark a little bit for me. So I'll give it a three. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I, I would say it's a strong three for the, exactly the same reasons. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite episode to this point so far? Oh, uh, I mean, duets the obvious lead. Uh, Whispers is another strong one that you saw. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember most of them. That's I, fine. I hate to say it, but I can't. I I don't remember most of them. Uh, uh Whisper. Which one was Whispers? Is Whispers the O'Brien was, one. Yeah, the duplicate O'Brien. Um, 
I think I think probably the one uh, is duet the one with the the Cardassian in the jail cell. Yep. yep. I think that's probably it so far. Yep. That one at least leaves the strongest impression. I mean, honestly, I could I probably have said it somewhere along the line which one I've liked the most so far. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, I can't remember what it is. Well, the um. We were talking about it on the Discord, which is where you guys can go if you want to talk about Star Trek. We have a Discord channel. Um, you can do all the social media, but Discord has been interesting because um, we were just talking about the uh, Neil, listener Neil came on and just wanted to sort of like a general sense of where DS9 stands. And the consensus is DS9 has less stone cold standalone classic episodes than TNG does. Mm-hmm the floor for DS9 eventually becomes much higher than what TNG did. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the there is no DS9 episode that sticks in your mind like cause and effect on TNG. Mm-hmm. There's no hard sci-fi concept episode that you go like, oh yeah, that's a great episode. Eventually, you remember the moments more than you remember the episodes themselves, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really good... Um way to cover the fact that i can't remember any of these episodes <laughs> but i mean we haven't had it, it feeds into ds9 to this point has not had very strong sci-fi plots yeah yeah you know um whispers might have been the best one but i think my favorite one is that one where uh kira and uh the other uh, bajoran guy just like talk with their mouths pressed against each other after dinner <laughs> But why points taken away for no spring ball as someone as someone who's followed who's had a lot of the podcasting stuff. Do you think that have the DS9 sci-fi plots been weaker or are we just more aware of the tropes of Star Trek sci-fi plots at this point? Um, I don't know if weaker is the right word. Uh. I'll 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 give a little bit of a hint. There was I was reading a review that I thought summed up kind of nicely. He described season two or season one and two's DS9 sci-fi plots as schizophrenic uh, split personality episodes, where the sci-fi plot generally clashes so strongly that it can sometimes submarine better episodes by being involved in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. That's certainly what's happened in Playing God and stuff like that. I, I think that the they just don't really have a good sense of how to tie the sci-fi stuff into the character work that the show it does a much better job of doing at this point. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that's fair. Because, I mean, you know, they seem to be concerned with their characters a lot earlier than TNG was. Yes. Uh, TNG, as we've talked about many times, seemed to go, be like, here's here's your, your plot that we're, we're you know, trying Plugging to really hook, yeah. yeah trying to hook you with and these are the characters involved in that plot instead of here are your characters and here's the stuff that they get up to yep. um well but, the know, TNG, tng approach yeah the tng approach leads to episodes that are more memorable on some level you know what i mean because yeah. you you can remember the plot of like oh that's the one where they go to the planet and the alien computer shoots them with lasers or whatever it's yeah. it's a very and, identifiable thing and it makes sense because i mean you know you've being more stationary by by the nature of the show, yeah, it kind of forces you to deal with your characters more than it does, you know, these outlandish plots. Which no, and they can tend to blend together because you're in the same location. You're literally, you're, you know, you're, right, you're, right. they're always on the ship in the Enterprise, but they go to different places and can beam down to different planets and do all that stuff. But right, exactly. the station is the station. Uh, I think that's it. 
Cool. Well, guys can check out social media. There's all the links there. Patreon.com uh, slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, get extra stuff. And then Discord. If you want to go to Discord, there's a community of like 30 people, I think, in there now. Some lurkers, some active typers. But it's a good did, place to go. I did drop in the other day to see what was going on. And the last conversation I saw was a discussion about the quality of Star Wars movies. So sure. I, tapped, I tapped out very quickly. <laughs> um, so if you guys want me there, you got to step it up. Got to pick up the uh, pick up the quality. I think I think those chats were happening in the Star Trek uh, chat room, which made me very angry as a moderator of a forum. That, that goes in the general discussion <laughs> thing, guys. Let's see. I think we're done. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, non sequiturs. Anything no, to I don't plug? Think so. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Poser's still out. If you ha- if you want to pick up my, a copy of my book with from Waxwork Records, comes with a nice seven inch record. You can get it from waxworkrecords.com. Yep. Um, that's about it. I don't think I have anything else to plug, really. No, I don't think uh, spring is here. That's my non sequitur. It's getting beautiful outside. Now, it's raining today. It's a terrible rainy day, but it is getting warm. So soon, we'll be podcasting with the windows open. You'll be hearing all the traffic and all that stuff. It'll be wonderful. Mm, yes. <laughs> you, can, you, you can hear us sweating as we, we record with the window shut, and then when we open it, you can hear the cars outside. Yep. Let's see. I think that's it. Guys. Thank you very much for listening. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we will be back with Profit and Loss. Oh, no, sorry. That's Profit and Loss is before this. What the hell's after this episode? I think it's the Maquis. Maquis episode. Yes, so, that's the next one. Guys, we will see you next time. <laughs>